Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. I'm the king of the kings, Cody. Almost said my last name. This is Emily. <laughs> and before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. One day when we have this podcast on a webcam, people are going to be able to see, like, when the when that song plays, me and Emily, like, dance to it. <laughs> and we have for every episode. And I've always wished that you could see what we do during these episodes, because it's actually quite funny. There's a lot of hand gestures going on of me telling Emily to shut the hell up or I'll point to my nose, like, control that breathing. Yeah. Because it gets a little snorty. But yeah. with the new mic it's saving her ass it really is now i'm just over here eating skittles and picking your fucking toenails and i'm like uh-uh baby don't pick the toenails on this fucking i am just filing them i'm kidding she was just filing them but anyways hey welcome back we're here hey hey i did a cycle class this morning and i we do this thing called tap backs and i think oh. i tapped it back a little too much <laughs> and i pinched something in my back and oh my god i immediately let out a how <laughs> and they thought it was beyonce <laughs> <laughs> they thought it was beyonce and i was like oh my god <laughs> and um from the rest from the rest of the class i was like paralyzed like literally was it when you're going Back. back pulse back pulse, pulse. and then they're like oh, pulse back pulse back yeah, I want somewhere in that. that mixture yeah my back went oh and i went oh. and so i took a bath and i think we're getting we're on the mince but i'm like this is 30 this is 30 because if that that would never have happened in my 20s so i'm real feeling 30 today so i gotta stretch i gotta take my baths and i gotta you know work it out yeah anyways um i'm You're really excited 31 I am in a couple of months. October 28th, two months. Yeah. Well, two and a I half. I keep thinking we're already on And I'm a Scorpio. Oh, well, my first note in here is, yay, Emily's back. She's oh. back. So you don't have to hear the awkwardness of me just recording the episode by myself. I'm a lot more critical when it's by myself because if I even pronounce a word wrong, I don't have you here to correct it. So I'm like, mm, that didn't sound right. Next. <laughs> so I just literally sat here in this recording room recorded it for about three hours when it was a 30 minute episode because i was cussing myself out so okay but hey it's back emily's back she's been well ready. i was here to begin with yes she was here and then i deleted it on an accident or the lord above was like that fucking sucked <laughs> and then we were, i'm sure that's what he said that's what he said um but yeah emily's back and wait then, is that wine full no that is empty oh <laughs> um this week we had no patreons womp 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 but <laughs> i thought of something clever i have always been very very good at writing can, can you just emphasize cody thought of something clever i thought of something clever i've always been very very good at writing poetry so i decided for all new patreons thus forward thus forward does that make sense 
forward. What I'm if gonna, someone upgrades? I am going to write you a Patreon poem. And when you get your welcome letter with all the cool stickers and the letter and all that, I'm going to include the poem that I wrote just for you. So <sighs> from here on, if you're a Patreon, you're going to be getting a letter personalized by me. I can like spit on it if you want me to. I can kiss it. <laughs> I can put some hair in it. Whatever you want, baby. I got you. But you're going to get a personalized poem. Boom. Don't Let me ask just any clarify that again, you will be sending if there's any bodily fluids. Yes. You can actually we're not out. gonna be spitting on nothing with COVID and the monkeypox and all that going around. But I'm gonna write you a heartfelt poem and I I swear it's not gonna be bullshit. I do love to write poems and raps and all that. So it's gonna be good. If you want to rap, you can get a rap too. Now, for the ones that pick 15 and 20, I'm gonna read it or perform it on the episode. So if you want to rap, I'm gonna perform it on the rap. Shout out to you. That just came to my head. Emily's looking like, hmm, that's not what we talked about. <laughs> but yes, so that's it. So become a patron, get you a Patreon poem for yours truly. Now, Emily, give them the update on the Halloween pins. Oh, yeah. Um, some Halloween pins came in, and I'm going to be sending them probably towards the end of September. Just because. Yeah. I'll post what they look like again. If you have one in particular that you like, just let us know. We have a lot. Yeah. Um, don't be stingy and don't be too picky um yeah but yeah they're really cute so you're going to be getting those in the mail too if you're a patreon any tier you're going to be getting them so yeah become a patreon and get some exclusive episodes we have a lot we're going to be recording this week for you all probably a spooky ooky kind of one um so yeah welcome one day we'll be sending emily's nudes on there so yeah i'm kidding Unless, hey, unless that's a hit, we're going to have to do it, girl. Uh, so lastly, story suggestions um, for specifically for the 30-minute Manor mystery episodes. If you have one or you think of one, please send us suggestions on mysteries. Now, don't think of just unsolved. It can just be a mystery like a road that's haunted and that's mysterious or like just anything unsolved, mysterious. Send it our way and we'll look no into aliens. it. No aliens. No aliens, because Emily's going to shit herself. Anything else? Um, no. I... So. <laughs> wow. I was going to say, I don't think so. So let's get into our story, because that's why we're all here. So today, we are going to be talking about a killer couple. So that is the story of Gerald, Gerald Gallego and Charlene Williams, also known as the sex slave killers. Look so, at you. You had Barbie and Ken, and now we're doing these. And toy box, all that. So uh -huh. Gerald and Charlene would find their victims in and around shopping malls, county fairs, and they were all usually around their like teenage years. So 13 through I think about 17. And what there's part a couple. of the country are we in? I'm gonna get there. Oh. California. So their killing spree lasted from 1978 to 1980. So this deadly duo kidnapped and murdered 10 victims in all. Shit. In two years? Yep. So let's get into the upbringing of the murderous pair. So Jared Galago was the epitome of the old saying, the apple doesn't far, far. <laughs> <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So born in July of 1946 in Sacramento, California, Gerald never met his father. Why not? Because his father, Geraldine Senior, Gerald Gerald Senior, was quite the troublemaker himself. Mm -hmm. Gerald's father was a career criminal, and he was in prison for the majority of his son's childhood. 
Gerald Sr. made quite the name for himself because in 1955, he became the first man to ever be executed in a Mississippi gas chamber. Oh my God, he was no, they did that. Yeah, so he was charged for the murdering of a police officer during a prison escape. Oh, shoot. And that's a big, no, no. So Gerald was a young boy at only nine years old when his father was executed, but his childhood was difficult long before this point. His mother was a sex worker, drug addict, and an alcoholic. And on top of this, she was physically abusive to her son. So with no father and an abusive mother who was in and out of the home, Gerald did not much have much of an authority figure in his life. And it made him just very kind of carefree, right? He didn't have anybody tell him any rules. He was just kind of like, yeah, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Right. So in 1958, at the age of 12, he was put on probation for burglary. Jeez. But it was his next crime later that year that set the stage for things to come. So Gerald was charged with committing lewd and sexual acts towards a six-year-old girl, which landed him in a youth correctional facility where he spent some time before he was let go in 1961. So about four years, three years. However, Gerald did not learn his lesson from this. And in fact, 14-year-old Gerald went right back to his old ways. Within a year, he and his half-brother David were arrested for armed robbery and sent to a reform school in Iron, California in 1963. So Gerald was released on parole and began attending Sacramento High School at just 16. And he married a woman. I'm not saying that uh, that it's a woman, but I'm saying like at 16, right when he got out, he found a girl and he married her. Wait, now, was she a, like older than him? I say woman. She was a girl, like a young girl. So I couldn't find much details about this woman, but it did not last long. She was just like one of many two, and we're going to go through all of his marriages. So mm-hmm. in early 1964, Gerald's first daughter, Crystal, was born. But far from settling down, he was already settling back into his old habits. He was suspended from high school for chronic <laughs> truancy, tardiness, and profanity, which I guess you, that's a thing. His probation officer wrote up a report about Gerald calling Gerald, quote, a hard-shelled young man who evidenced little motivation for improvement, resourcefulness, or insight. So just okay. a bad little shit. So Gerald's, Gerald's violent nature was beginning to emerge and he was physically abusive to his wife. Any chance that he could, he would lash out at her, punching her, slapping her, and just belittling her. But not the baby. Not the baby yet. We're going to get oh, to her. No. Oddly enough, when the marriage ended, he was awarded custody of their daughter, Krista, whom he sent to live with his mother. So her I grandmother. Her name was Crystal. Crystal, sorry. So he just said, Crystal, Krista, one of the two. He just sent her off. He was like... But I I thought that was so odd because why is he getting custody of her? I guess back in the day, I don't, he was. Most, I don't know. Usually it's the mother. Right. So he got custody of the daughter and well, just quickly then. sent her away to um, live with his mother. So her grandmother. So Gerald went on to marry four more times throughout 1916 through 1970s. And in every case, his wife reported that he was physically violent his second wife described him as quote a perverted psychosexual maniac gerald's rap sheet was also getting longer and longer and longer throughout the 1960s gerald and david would brag to their friends about getting away with a lot of crime including stealing cars holding up stores at gunpoint finally the pair was arrested in october of 1969 during an armed robbery in Bakerville, California. In all, Gerald was arrested 24 times for various crimes. In all of his life? 
Oh, okay. Yes. So Gerald was sentenced to five years to life and served part of that term at the California Medical Facility, which has housed notorious killers like Charles Manchin and Ed Kemper. Charles Manson. Yeah. Oh. What did he do again? Charles Manson didn't actually kill anybody, but he had a cult. Cult, that's what And it was mainly women that killed Sharon Tate. Yes. The Folgers. Right. Yeah. And then Kemper was the um, co-ed killer, so he... He was real fucked up. Mm-hmm. He um he actually beheaded his mom after he killed her and then fucked her head. Oh, is that where they got? I was getting some head from. I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, so he that's where he was with these two guys. Okay. So while there, Gerald was treated for depression during his time at the facility. I and mean, you said it's a medical facility? Yes, just because I think it was because he was like younger and they thought he was having some psycho oh, weird so issues. He so like, he was in prison, but he was getting treated like on the me- medical ward of things. Like they thought something was mentally oh, so, wrong with oh, okay. him. Okay, so he was in like a, was it more like an institution? Probably, yes. Oh, okay. So I want to note that we don't know whether the treatment was effective or if Gerald even lived with depression at all, but he made a good impression on the prison authorities. In fact, they thought that he was a model inmate and was making great advances during his time there. So in December of 1975, the 29-year-old was released on parole. So a parole officer wrote at the time that he, quote, believed Gerald wouldn't pose a significant risk to the community if he was released. So they released him. But spoiler alert, this is a true crime <laughs> podcast, so something bad is bound to happen. So let's just say the officer's assumption was a fucking fatal mistake for many people. So in December of 1977, 31-year-old Gerald crossed paths with 20-year-old Charlene Williams. So accounts of their meeting vary. So some reports say that they met at a Sacramento poker club, and then others say that they were set up on a blind date by a mutual friend. But whatever the case may be, these the two stars of our program today, Gerald mm-hmm. and Charlene, them pro- crossing paths was not good. Okay. So either way, they weren't an obvious match. Charlene's upbringing could not be more different than Gerald. So let's get into Charlene's background, which this, you know, in a lot of these cases, we hear about them having a horrible childhood, and this is what happened to it. Listen to her childhood. So she was born in October of 1956 in the quiet town of Stockton, California, which is around 50 miles from Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Charlene had a beautiful and ideal upbringing, like I said, way different from Gerald's. Charlene's father was a successful entrepreneur, and growing up, she was well-behaved, had a loving family, and she was just known as being just a very sweet and loving girl. As an only child, she was like the apple of her parents' eye. Her future was bright. They were setting her up for success, and she loved to learn and explore new things. Mm -hmm. So Charlene was shy, but she was very gifted, and she had an unusually high IQ and a huge talent for playing the violin. Her parents' aspirations were for her to attend Juilliard School of Music in New York, and that was like her goal. But those dreams came to a halt. So as Charlene got older, she entered like her rebellious, like reckless stage, and those aspirations that she was so clinging on to went away. She was like, I don't want to do it anymore. She was getting into like drugs and drinking and things like that. How old was she about that time? This is like middle school. Oh, my God. So her grades began to slide, and she spent more of her time drinking, using drugs, and having lots of sex. So this may sound like any ordinary teenage rebellion. Not ordinary, but like, you know, teenagers dabble in this, that, and the other. 
but there were other indications that something was not right. So like okay. Gerald, Charlene developed a pattern of intense short-lived relationships. She got married for the first time on her 18th birthday, <gasps> divorced soon after, and then remarried shortly again after when she turned 19. <laughs> so both marriages lasted less than a year. I... So Charlene's second husband, Elliot, described their relationship as tempestuous. I know I'm saying that right, but okay. Tempestuous, mirrored by drug use and instability. Like temp, temp, like were you saying like the word like tempting? Hold on. Look let at me, that. I am. Sorry, guys. I actually did look this up and then didn't put it in there. No, I've. Not... So it means characterized by strong and turbulence. So I guess just up and down, up and down. So like one minute it was good. The next it was like not good. Oh, okay. So, Tempestuous reared by drugs and instability. So I guess when she would use drugs or she would be drunk and stuff, the relationship would go up and down. Anyways, she had two marriages, both lasting less than a year. So according to her second husband again, Charlene once attempted suicide by drinking disinfectant. Oh, no. Charlene's father, Charles, became more devoted than ever to his daughter, though. He was like, I need to save her. Like... I'll do whatever it takes to save my daughter. So he bought her a brand new car and even paid for her rent for the apartment that she was living in. Charlene's parents did have the best intentions for their daughter. You know, they just wanted to save her. They were like, how is this happening? Yeah. We raised you better than this. They hoped that if they supported their daughter, she could find her way out. But unfortunately, their hopes and their dreams to get Charlene back on track failed. And it never happened. So let's go back to Charlene and Gerald meeting for the first right, time. Right, and they're like 10 years apart, right? Uh, 11 years apart. 11. So are my parents. So she's 20, he's 31. So they that thought... That is literally my parents when they got married. My dad was... 31. And my mom was 19. 20, no, my mom was 19. Okay. My dad was 30. Right. Oh, yeah, same thing. So though they might be seem like an unlikely match, the juvenile delinquent... Um, and the pampered daddy's girl, their connection was like instant. They immediately hit it off. Okay. So both are on like the rebound from like troubled marriages. They're like, you know, as you can tell, they quickly move on. So they're just kind of like looking for their next. Well, lover. he's just out of prison. Right. So Gerald was newly separated from his fifth wife when he met Charlene. And Charlene was recently divorced to Elliot. So the two were like on the prowl. They were horny, honey. And they were desperate to fall in love again. So when Charlene first met Gerald, she thought that he was quite charming and she said he was quite the gentleman. Really? He, he didn't try to kiss her on their first date and instead he played it safe and he sent her flowers to her house the following morning. Now Charlene was blown away by this gesture and was like falling head over heels for him in just like a matter of days. She was telling her friends like, I love him. I think I love him. So she was like blinded by love and she had no idea about his criminal history either. Oh. So Good thing that he knows where she lives. So Charlene thought of him as a charming, successful older man who could take care of her much like her daddy. So unsurprisingly, much like their relationship in the past, this one also moved very, very fast. So within a week, the U-Hauls came on over to oh. Gerald's house and he quickly moved into Charlene's home with her. So as the two moved in together, they got to know each other more. Maybe they weren't the perfect match, you know, like once they move in and you see people like from morning to night, you live with people and you figure out their ways. They were like, oh, I don't think this is what we quite thought it was. Mm -hmm. So the honeymoon phase soon died out and they turned into something more dark and sinister because Gerald's controlling nature started to emerge. So according to Charlene, her new boyfriend isolated her from her family and mm -hmm. friends and he wanted to control her every move. So she recalled, quote, you can't see your way out because he eliminated things in my life piece by 
piece person by person until all I had around me were members of his family. And they're all like him, every single one of them. So just like his five previous wives, Charlene soon discovered that Gerald had a vicious temper. So one night, soon after they moved in together, mm -hmm. Gerald surprised Charlene. Had a little surprise. It wasn't flowers. Do you know what it was? Uh, he brought home a young teenager to participate in a threesome with them. He was like, here she is. We're going to have a threesome. And Charlene did not hesitate. Mm -mm. And she liked the idea of being able to switch some things up to please the love of her life. So yeah. she did not have power of the puss. So I guess they had to bring in more people. So when Charlene and the young girl began to have sex, Gerald flew into a rage and physically lashed out at Charlene. And she was like, I don't know why, like for no apparent reason. I don't know if it was a jealousy. I don't know like if I did something wrong, but he just started beating her, right? And this is a young girl? Like yeah, underage? Yeah, like teenagers. Uh, so uh. this scared Charlene to the core, but she was like far too invested with Gerald to do anything about the psychotic behavior. So she just took the scalding and the beating. But she has nowhere to go. Right. So scalding. about this scalding. Scalding is like hot. Yeah, but was if you scald, her? no, but if you scald somebody, scold. scold. <laughs> well, if you scald someone, like you're burning them. <laughs> well, he burnt her with his words. So by the spring of 1978, there were more signs of trouble in paradise. Gerald moved out of Charlene's duplex and into his own apartment, where his now 14-year-old daughter, I'm sorry, it is Krista. So Krista now started coming back and came to live with him. <gasps> so from time to time. So now 14 years old, she's back in his life. 14? But... This is not the, oh, father and daughter reunion that you might be hoping for, baby. Because no, guess what? So. Gerald welcomed his daughter into his home by molesting Krista, <gasps> sometimes in front of Charlene, who did nothing to stop him. To make matters more difficult, Charlene um, got pregnant with Gerald's baby. So Charlene, not Krista. Yeah. Charlene was pregnant with Crystal's baby. So it's hard to imagine that she could possibly want to have a child with Gerald at this point, right? Like, what yeah. the fuck is he doing? But um, she wanted it. She wanted to have it. But he forced Charlene into getting an abortion. And she was just devastated by this. Okay. So Gerald's perverse and violent impulses from this point only grew stronger and stronger. So Gerald confessed to Charlene by saying, hey, babe. I was thinking, I want to keep this between you and I. I'm having some deep, dark fantasies about taking young girls as sex slaves. Like, what do you say we make that happen? Will you help me? In the meantime, they have his young daughter living. Right. right? Still, okay. So whether out of fear or desire to please the boyfriend, or perhaps she had these own twisted fantasies herself, Charlotte agreed and was like, yep, let's do it. So on September 11th, 1978, the couple went out for a drive in Charlene's new van. They pulled into a parking lot of Sacramento and Charlene went inside to begin the hunt for their first sex slave. So she was like the decoy, right? It's always, it's so always like the that. Girls. Yep. And um, a lot of accounts said that she looked like just your ordinary, cute, petite, just like a, you know, like a fun, someone what that you would want to hang out like? with. Not bad, honestly. So well, I think he was hot. So he went into the mall. No. He went into the mall and he saw and she saw 17-year-old Rhonda Scheffler and 16-year-old Kippy Bart. I know that name, Rhonda Scheffler. Well, you don't know her because she died. <laughs> so they had no reason to be alarmed when Charlene approached them, right? She was petite, she was friendly, and only a few years older than them, older than them, and she offered them free pot. She was like, Hey girls, what's up? Like, I have some extra pot on hand. Like, do you want to come help me smoke it? Like, and she looked young. I mean, she's what? 
20 something at this point and they're 16 yeah. so they just thought oh, i was a fun girl wanting to be friends so they were like what could be the harm in us joining her for some smoking sessions so charlene led the girls out of the van or out to the van where gerald was waiting for them with his gun drawn and ready so charlene said follow me like let's get it out of my van so once they came close to the van gerald grabbed the two young girls and forced them into the back of the van he soon bounded their hands and feet with tape and left Charlene to watch the hostages as he drove away. So after driving around for some time, Gerald pulled over and forced the girls out into like a forest path near the town of Baxter, where he violently raped both of the girls over and over again, over like an hour and beat them with mm. all different sorts of tolls. Um, raped them time and time again molested them all the horrible stuff so after a while satisfied with what he had done he put them back into the car and told charlene to drive them to a remote rural area that they both knew so gerald was not done yet with them so once at this remote area he forced Rhonda and kippy out of the car at gunpoint again and led them into this meadow he bludgeoned them to death with a tire iron and shot each of the girl in the back of the head and just left their bodies on the ground that's horrible. Awful. So Gerald and Charlene took time to cover their tracks, though, disposing of the victim's purses at the murder um, and threw the murder weapon into the Sacramento River. So when Rhonda and Kippy's bodies were found by migrant workers just two days later, there were few clues that stood out. So the authorities just had no leads. They couldn't find a murder weapon couldn't find like any tracks that led people here it was out in the middle of nowhere so they had no leads so the although at the time gerald and charlene's relationship was rocky it's possible that their first killing actually brought them closer together okay. so according to dr judy ho so she's a clinical and forensic psychologist professor at pepperdine university mm -hmm. she said that this kind of twisted intimacy is common in killer couples she said, after being entrenched together in something so serious that it escalates to the point of killing, it binds a couple closer together and creates this weird intimacy between them. Ew. So right as the couple was starting to get along better, it seemed it seemed to be on, right, on the right track, on their own twisted way. Something in Gerald's past came to haunt him. What do you think it is? His dad. No. His dad was in the gas chamber dead. Oh. <laughs> so oh, an ex-wife. No. So in September of 1978, Gerald's 14-year-old daughter, Krista, reported to police in Butte County, California, uh. that he sexually abused her. When word reached Gerald that he was wanted for questioning, he got the fuck out of town. Oh, I'm sure. And his little puppy dog of a girlfriend, Charlene, followed in his footsteps. So a warrant was soon issued for Gerald's arrest, um, but that didn't put a stop to the murderous couple. So wanting to get, they like wanted to get married. So they were like, the next step in this is to want to be married. So on, on September 30th, they exchanged vows in Reno, Nevada, making Gerald's sixth marriage and Charlene's third. They are on a roll, honey. They are really reckoning these marriages. And they're still in twi their 20s. Well, he's in his 30s. Oh, okay, but early. Early. Well, mid. Oh, I don't know why I <laughs> thought he was like 31. Okay. And I'm thinking like, damn, you got married six times and you three. Some people can't even find one love. And you find in six and three. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I wasn't saying that towards you. <laughs> so after the wedding, the couple laid low for a few months because of all the charges that were out for Gerald. So they kept to themselves and only went out of the house when they like absolutely needed to. But... Okay. 
those sadistic and like murderous urges eventually caught up to them. So within a year, they were ready for their next kill. So on June 24th, 1979, the couple arrived at their new hunting ground, the county fair. Um, 14-year-old Brenda and 13-year-old Sandra had enjoyed their day at the fair filled with cotton candy, riding roller coasters, eating great food, and they were best friends. So they were having mm -hmm. the time of their life. I mean, I remember going to the fair. That was so much fun. We would, like, get all of our friends together and just have the absolute ball of them all. I don't think I've ever been to a fair. That's fair. So <laughs> when the two friends were ready to go home, they were waiting for a ride um, they were like waiting for their parents to come pick them up and Charlene approached them. She was like, Hey girls, I have this special job for you. You both look very like energetic and like spunky. Do you want to make a little cash by handing out these flyers to people who pass by? You don't have to do it long just until your ride gets here. And it's an easy way for you to make some money. What do you say? And the two young girls eager to make some money were of course like, sure, we'd love to. What were the flyers? I don't know. I couldn't find it. So I, I'm like, did she really have flyers in her hand? Or did she You know what? That's like, probably right. She was like, come get it in the van. Is that? Right. No. So Charlene replied, great, follow me. Let's go get the flyers. So the girls followed Charlene and they went away from the fairgrounds. And Charles, or Gerald was actually watching them the whole time. So he was just like a few steps behind them. So he was trailing just not too far behind them, watching their every move. So as soon as the trio were like out of sight of the crowds, he jumped on top of them pistol in his hand and forced the girls into the back of the van he tied them up the girls screamed they kicked they cried and he told charlene to watch over them while he drove somewhere along interstate 80. That's... so gerald pulled over and switched places with charlene as she drove so he raped and beat 14 and 13 year old brenda and sandra in the back of the van so finally somewhere in the nevada desert gerald ordered charlene to stop driving and told her wait here so he escorted his victims one by one out into the wilderness at gunpoint and he beat them to death with to a bloody pulp with a hammer and a shovel and he killed them both did he kill one and then come back for and the then other? the other so oh one of them was God. forced to watch one of them die knowing what their fate was going to um, be and they're 13 and 14 year olds like how do you go from being at the fair having the time of your life with your best friend then to be just bludgeoned to death by that... these fucking monsters so Charlene did not take part in any of the physical violence, but without her acting as a babe, getaway driver, and enabler, Gerald would have never been able to do this in the fucking first place. Well, I mean, they agreed to, to she lured them in. Yeah, so, so she's yeah. just as much to blame as he is. Yes. So in a 2013 overview of mixed sex partner homicide studies, the University of Norwich criminologist Elizabeth A. Gorian discusses some common characteristics of women who end up as part of a killer couple. She notes that female offenders in these relationships commonly exhibit some combination of the following traits, insecurity, low self-esteem, social, social isolation, poor education, economic dependency and having been abused as a child but if you remember charlene did not have any of those traits whatsoever she mm -hmm. was well educated she had a high iq she grew up in a wealthy family who loved and adore her and there was absolutely no evidence of any abuse or neglect at all in her household and she certainly wasn't economically uh dependent on gerald because remember her father was paying for her condo right mm -hmm. so that was like why Where is this coming from? Study said mixed. Does that mean like they're race? Like a, no, no, no. Uh, boy, like boy and girl. Oh, okay, or in okay. like in both of them doing it together. Okay, okay, okay. So after Brenda and Sandra's disappearance, Nevada authorities searched high and low for answers. Neither of the girls had any history of running away. 
followed with no witnesses and no evidence what might have murdered. So the trail went cold. So over the next few months, Gerald and Charlene's confidence grew. They were like, oh, my God, we're not getting caught. Like, this is awesome. So they Mm -hmm. were so confident that no one was on their ass that by September of 1979, they moved back to California, even though the molestation charges against Gerald were still, he's still very being, active. He's still being looked for. Looked for, yep. But oh he was just God. so confident. So do you know what his solution was to this? Change the names. Oh, I thought so, he was going to grow a mustache. He probably did. Actually, he does have a mustache. So when they rented an apartment in Sacramento, they had new names. They were now Mr. and Mrs. Stephen File. So Gerald, and I'm just going to keep referring to him as Gerald, obviously. File? File, F-I-L-E. So Gerald found work as a bartender, and for the next several months, the couple laid low again. But sure enough, Mr. and Mrs. Nasty Devil Monster couldn't contain their urges, and by April of 1980, they were ready for some more victims. So one evening, Gerald turned to Charlene and announced, hey, I'm getting that feeling again. Oh, my God. And she knew exactly what the fuck that meant, and it was not a boner (laughs) on april 24th the couple drove out to a mall in citrus heights a suburb suburb of sacramento you know who's from citrus heights who joseph d'angelo who's that the golden state killer oh (laughs) so by now charlene was very used to her role right she knew exactly what she needed to do they were like Mm -hmm. a very well-oiled machine at this point So as Gerald waited in the van, she strolled into the mall looking for their next victim. 17, she comes across uh, 17-year-old Karen and Stacey Ann, and they both caught her attention and was ready to make the move. And always two. Like the first one was one, Mm -hmm. then two. So now we're on four and five. Yes. So they both recently started new jobs at this fast food restaurant in the mall and just received their first paychecks. And they were like, oh my God, let's go shopping and use our first paycheck. So they were going around having so much fun. I remember that when I got my first paycheck, like you just want to like treat yourself, right? So they were doing some shopping. So Charlene approached them and was like, hey, how are y'all? And they told her like, oh my God, we're shopping. We just got like our first job, like our first paycheck and we're super excited. And she was like, well, we need to celebrate. Let's go smoke some pot together. Like y'all seem friendly. Let's go smoke some pot. And the girls were like, like, yeah. celebrating with you and I freaking know you. Right. So the girls were like, oh my gosh, like, that sounds great. So the tactic worked like a charm. Karen and Stacy were in the mood to celebrate and happily followed Charlene out into the parking lot. But as they approached the van, their high spirits quickly shifted and they were met to the, in the van with a handgun. Shit. So they both were like, what is going on? Like, please don't do this. Like, please, please, please. I won't say anything. Like they were terrified. The girls cried out, but Gerald quickly pushed them into the back of the van with the gun pointed at them the entire time. He climbed into the back of the van with the two frightened teenagers and told Charlene to head east on the interstate. Yeah. As Charlene drove, Gerald raped and beat both Karen and Stacy. And at some point on their route, he told Charlene that she needed to stop at a supermarket because he needed to get a new hammer. So apparently he had broke it into one of the girls. The the hammer broke and he needed to get another hammer to beat them with. So he needed a new hammer to beat his victim. So they got a new uh, hammer. They got back in the car and he beat them and raped them for several hours. So finally, Charlene pulled the van over on the side of the dirt road near Limerick Canyon in Nevada. That's what I was going to say. If they're where they are, they have to drive pretty mm -hmm. far. So he was taking them to the desert in Nevada. Because, you know, it's a lot of desert land. So 
Gerald took out his victims out of the van one by one and walked them deeper into the desert where he bludgeoned them to their final death. So Charlene waited in the van, though, throughout all of this. And when Gerald returned without the girls, she obediently drove all the way back home to Sacramento, leaving the girls' bodies in the desert for someone else to find. So Karen's mother reported her daughter missing right away because she was like, this is not like my daughter. She's very, you know, obedient. She comes Mm -hmm. home right when she needs to, like something's batched. This would never happen. But just like the other victims, the authorities had no leads and no witnesses to the disappearance. Charlene was the perfect bait because like I said, she was so like, she wasn't threatening. Um, She also made sure not to cause too much disruption in the malls in the area. So nobody really saw her. She just kind of coasted on by. So just to, few days after they claimed their fifth victim, oh, fifth and sixth, Charlene discovered that she was pregnant again. So remember, she was aborted the first one. So now she's pregnant again. And this time, you know, she was like, I'm going to keep the baby. I want to keep the baby. And he was like, fine, we can keep the baby. But only if we get married under a new alias. And she was not going to be the files anymore. No, they're going to be the files now. So they were married under Gerald and Charlene. Galegos, and now he's like, yeah, we can get married under our new names. So on June 1st, 1980, Mr. and Mrs. Stephen File tied the knot at Heart of Reno Wedding Chapel, solidifying their false identities. But this time they wanted a honeymoon. They were going to celebrate this. What was her name? I don't know. Every time I look, I think she kept the same name. Oh, it wasn't like Stephen and Stephanie? (laughs) I don't know. So they wanted a honeymoon this time. So just six days later, the newlyweds drove up to the coastline, enjoying the views of the Pacific Ocean. And they thought, what better way to celebrate our marriage than finding our next victim? So the couple thought that this would be just the cherry on the motherfucking top of this honeymoon. So they approached the town of Gold Beach, Oregon. The couple spotted a young woman on the side of the road. 21-year-old Linda Aguilar was four months pregnant and was exhausted from walking. The couple knew that this would be an easily, like, an easy pickup for them, right? Yeah. So they just like, hey, we're just going to offer her a ride. So they rolled down the window. They were like, hey, it's so hot outside. Like, what are you walking around? Like, you're obviously pregnant. Do you want us to bring you somewhere? Like, we don't mind at all. Linda was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. This is number seven. Yes. So she hitched a ride. This is seven or eight. Seven. seven. Uh, There's so many of them. I think it's seven. So she hitched a ride with the couple who seemed friendly. But as soon as Linda was in the back of the van and made herself comfortable, Gerald locked the doors and sped away. And she was like, oh, my God, something is up. This is not right. So after driving for a while, he switched places with Charlene and went into the back of the van where he beat and raped Linda. Charlene drove the van back towards California, finally stopping at an isolated spot on the Mojave Desert. Mm -hmm. So Gerald led Linda away from the van at gunpoint, bludgeoned her to death, and buried her in the sand. Wait, Charlene did it this time? Oh, no. Gerald led Linda away from the van. Oh, okay. I don't know why I was thinking. No. I don't know. And buried her in the sand. Charlene doesn't do any of the physical stuff in this whole case. But he buried her this time? He buried her in the sand this time. So Linda's boyfriend reported her. I bet you because she was pregnant. Yeah. So, he didn't yeah. bury any he of the other ones. He didn't bury of the other ones. Nope. So Linda's boyfriend reported her missing two days after she failed to come home. So she did have a history, though, of wandering off. It said wandering off on her own, but I'm assuming like she was a runner, like was a Kevin runaway. Drugs or something. Yeah. Just... So 
um, sometimes for days at a time. So the authorities weren't certain that her disappearance was suspicious and thought maybe it was just one of her, you know, runaways. But three weeks later, to everyone's surprise, her body was found in the sand by a group of tourists. Oh my God. God. I know. So again, there was little evidence of what occurred or who could have caused these gruesome attacks. So at this point, this deadly duo is racking in the deaths, and this couple has now taken seven lives together. So on the evening of July 16th, 1980, Gerald and Charlene wanted to celebrate his 30th birthday. They're oh, 30th. Fast. You're right. 30th. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. They're going fast now. 30th. So Gerald and Charlene decided to spend a few hours in a boat on the Sacramento River, drinking beers and fishing and having She's a- She's fucking pregnant. And having a good old time. Well, they were drinking beers. Later, they ended up at a bar where they became very friendly and chatty with the bartender, Virginia McCall. So 34-year-old Virginia McCall was highly favored and well-loved by the bar regulars. Many people described her as loving, caring, fun, goofy. She thought nothing of making a friendly chit-chat with drunk people, right? She was like, oh, okay, I'll entertain it, whatever. So when the bar was closing up and she asked for the last call of drinks, Charlene and Gerald made their way out of the door. So she thought. So she was getting into her car after wrapping up the night around 2 a.m. And she heard a knock on the window. So she rolled it down. And right when she rolled the window down, she was looking straight into the barrel of a revolver. Gerald ordered her out of the car into the back of his van. Once inside, he tied Virginia up and left Charlene to watch her while he got into the front of the van and drove them back to the couple's apartment. Ew. So far, the abduction was playing out according to plan, but tonight something was different for reasons that aren't clear. Like, why were they taking it back to the apartment, right? When they arrived... birthday? Maybe. So when they arrived at the apartment, Charlene went inside while Gerald beat and raped Virginia in the back of the van. Afterward, Gerald went inside to get Charlene and ordered them to drive them elsewhere. So I don't... He never brought her inside the apartment. So Charlene obeyed Gerald, and when he ordered her back into the driver's seat, um, he told her, hey, turn the music up really loud. And when she did that, she could hear him him murdering Virginia in the back of the van. He just didn't want her to hear it. So she died in the back of the van. So in the back of the van, Charlene drove for 20 more minutes, stopping on a levee road outside of Clarksburg, where Gerald dumped Virginia's body. And as always, the couple returned home, believing they pulled off another perfect crime how do you brush your teeth and go to bed later right so afterwards the uh, bartender's disappearance did not go unnoticed because like i mentioned virginia was so well loved and so well liked the community was very shocked when she didn't show up to work the next day they were like this is not like her something is up so search parties were quickly organized to find virginia they found nothing meanwhile the authorities interviewed like local regular bar people that were there to see like what could have happened. So several people came forward and said that Virginia was talking to a man named Stephen File and his companion on the night she disappeared. But when the police contacted the couple, they denied knowing anything of what happened to Virginia and explained that they were just out on a fishing trip to celebrate her, their husband, like his birthday. They had no, no idea what was going on. They were like, I don't know what you're talking about. We stopped by there, but I don't know what you're talking about. So this seemed legit enough to police until Virginia's body was discovered. But it wasn't discovered one day later. It wasn't discovered one month later. It was discovered three months later. Her remains were so deteriorated that it was hard to determine the cause of death. But one thing that was very clear, whoever murdered her had bound her hands and feet with fishing line. 
So the detective questioned the couple who questioned the couple back in July, remembered that Charlene mentioned a fishing trip. So he was like, fishing trip, fishing line. Hmm. I think it was them, right? Because he questioned them about it. And they're like, no, I was on the fishing trip. Like, it wasn't us. And then when her body was discovered, she had fishing wire wrapped around her. So yeah. he was like putting two and two together. So he wanted to talk to them again. So he paid Charlene another visit um, and discovered that she was no longer living with her husband. So really? come to find out the couple's relationship deteriorated in the weeks um, after killing Virginia. They sold their van, which indicates that they were probably worried about like, we DNA. need to get rid of this because they killed her inside it. So they just, Oh, well, they weren't doing DNA back then, but yeah. But they got rid of the van, right? So during the visit from Charlene's mom, Mercedes, Gerald flew into a rage one day and started choking out Charlene with his bare hands in front of her mother. And he only stopped when Mercedes intervened and hit him over the side of the head with, like, one of his guns. Wait, like, and so she's still pregnant? she had this kid yet? I don't know. I, I think it might be in here. If not, the baby never happened. <laughs> so oh Charlene's God. parents were worried sick about their daughter and begged and pleaded for Charlene to get rid of him. They're like, please, this is not healthy. He's beating you. He's attacking you. Like this is, and keep in mind, the parents still doesn't, don't know what their daughter and this guy is doing. Right. Well, so soon not. after she, you know, went back to live with her parents. Right. So Gerald just took off. He got hell out of Dodge and he went to Oregon with a new girlfriend. He found another girl. And soon afterward, um, because he's just jumping from one puss to another at this point, right? Well, yeah. So the detective came back and interviewed Charlene alone. And he was like, I need answers. And I know that you know. So to the detective, Charlene seemed genuine. And she was like, hey, I'm really sorry to hear about the lady bartender. She was so nice to me and Steven. I hope you find whoever did this to her. And she said, Stephen, obviously, because that was yeah. his alias. So the fact that Charlene was able to lie so smoothly and still gave Steve the name Stephen indicates that she was not quite ready to let go of her love for him, right? Right. So sure enough, within a but, month, the couple were back together. Okay. He I came thought, back, too, because he would sell her out. Right. So they were back together, and they were ready to pick up where they left off. So they wanted victim number 9 and 10. So on, no on November 1st, Gerald told Charlene, Hey, get in that feeling again. Oh my God. Which implied that they needed to find some other victims. However, they'd sold their van, which made things a little bit more difficult. But for, fortunately, Charlene still had the Oldsmobile that her father had bought her as a graduation gift. So Charlene, being the pushover cunty musty that she is, was like, hey, we can just use the Oldsmobile. No worries. Let's just do that. That bitch had two cars. I got two cars. Yes, she did. So Charlene pulled into the parking lot of a shopping center where Gerald laid eyes on his next victims. That was the first thing they did. Get this. Get this. 22-year-old Craig Miller <gasps> and his fiance, 21-year-old Mary Elizabeth. So they were on their way to a frat party heading towards their car. Wait, they were on their way heading out from a frat party that was nearby the mall. Um, and they were heading toward their, towards their car. They were going to leave, right? Mm-hmm. So Gerald hopped out of the car and approached them at gunpoint and forced them into the back of the Oldsmobile. So he was less careful than usual, though, about making sure that there were no witnesses. So a guy named Andy Bill, who was a fraternity brother of Craig, was leaving the party at the same time. And he noticed Craig and Mary Beth in the back of the stranger's car because in the van, there was like no windows in the back or they were like guarded. But now they're in a car with windows. He could see right in it. And he was like, 
whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what's going on? Like, I think you have a mistake. Like, what are you doing with him? But Charlene got out of the car and she slapped him across the face and said, get away. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so this only inflamed his suspicion. So he was like, uh-uh. Inflamed? Something inflamed. Like, made them bigger. Oh. Do you need a dictionary? I probably do. <laughs> so as Charlene sped away out of the parking lot with Gerald and his captives in the back of the car, Andy wrote down the license plate number, like with no idea of the danger they were in. He just thought, you know, it was like a misunderstanding. I, I mean, he didn't think that they were obviously going to go be killed, right? No. So Gerald and Charlene headed east on Highway 50 with Craig and the fiance in the back of the car. Eventually, Does fiance have a name? Mary Elizabeth. Oh, you were like the fiance. So eventually, Gerald ordered Charlene to stop the car on a desert road in El Dorado County, California. Okay. So he forced Craig out of the car and said, start walking. And Greg was like, Craig was like, please, like, it doesn't have to be this way. Please don't hurt her. Just take me instead. Like, please, I, I don't want to walk away from this. And Gerald said, walk. So Craig walked a bit. Gerald shot him in the back of the head and left him for dead. So he wanted nothing to do with the guy. He wanted the girl. That is. So in Char and Mary Elizabeth heard and saw this whole thing go down. So Charlene then drove back to the couple's apartment where Gerald raped and beat Mary Beth. In the car or inside? Well, inside. Or uh, to the couple's apartment, right? Ooh. So he forced her back into the car at gunpoint. And uh, Wait, I'm sorry. Finally, mm -hmm. he forced her back into the car at gunpoint and had Charlene drive them out toward Nevada where he pulled into an isolated fill. Gerald took Mary Beth out of the car and shot her three times and left her body in a pasture. So after burying her body, so they did bury the body in the pasture, but they stole her, like her purse, her jewelry, her belongings, all that good stuff. So Gerald told Charlene, Charlene, the fact that we just did this, I, I just solidifies that I love you so much and I don't ever want to let you go again. So later that night, they celebrated. They went out for donuts together. <laughs> donuts? Donuts. And the couple was back head over hills in love again. Oh, jeez. The next morning, though, Andy Bill and a group of Craig and Mary, Mary Elizabeth's friends went to Sacramento police where, uh, to report what Andy saw, right? So it took no time for police to trace the Oldsmobile back to Charlene. When the police arrived at the apartment, Charlene spoke with them and she kept them entertained and distracted while Gerald slipped out the back door. She told detectives, like, I'm so sorry. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Like, I was home last night. I'm suffering with morning sickness. Like, you have the wrong person. So, yes, yeah, she is still pregnant. So Charlene did admit one thing to them. When asked by the detectives if her husband had a car, she pointed at Gerald's red car. She was like, yeah, it's right there parked across the street. Yeah, he owns that one right there. Gerald was very cautious, though, and never drove his own car um, on any of his murderous expeditions. Right. So there would be no evidence whatsoever in that car. So still, when police ran the license plate, though, they pulled up Gerald's photo in the system and they showed Andy Bill. And he was like, that is 100 percent. The guy who I saw abduct Craig and Mary. And then wouldn't he also have that charge about his daughter? Well, so they're thinking his name is still Stephen Piles at this point. But under the car? Oh, about his daughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So later that afternoon, Craig's body was found confirming investigators' worst fear. But by the time police got to Gerald's apartment, he was long gone. 
Right. The couple, knowing the police were closing in, skipped town, abandoning uh, Charlene's Oldsmobile in a casino parking lot. So the couple hopped on a Greyhound bus to Salt Lake City, Utah. When they got there, Charlene called her parents and was like, I need some money. Like, we don't have any. Like, we're we're leaving town for a little bit. Like, do you have some money that you can borrow us? And they did not say no. You know, well, they yeah, loved her and they wanted the best for their daughter. Knew she was pregnant. And... So they wired her $500. You could wire stuff back in the 80s. That's what it said on, on um, online. But regardless, she got somehow she got eight five hundred dollars. So using that money, the couple traveled first to Denver, Colorado, and then to Omaha, Nebraska, searching for a place that they could hide out and like stay on the low low. So their money ran out, and Charlene's parents stepped in once again and wired them another five hundred dollars. But this time, FBI was on to them. So her parents had been under surveillance for days by both the Bureau and the Sacramento police. But a they don't know that they're they like don't helping know that this fugitives. Is right. But the so, police think they are. Right. So the agents watched the couple going into the Western Union. And when the agents confronted the, uh, the parents, they admitted that they had just wired $500 to their daughter. And they're like, yeah, like, um, what's going on? You know, because they have no idea that this is going on. So on November 17th, Charlene showed up to the Western Union to retrieve the money and the police were there to arrest her. And they told the parents why. Right. And they were utterly shocked. Right. Oh my God. Shocked in a sense that their daughter would participate, not shocked that it was happening to Gerald because remember they had seen acts yeah. of him strangling and being very violent. So they arrested. Um, so they arrested her. And then shortly after they arrested Gerald, um, and the couple returned to California to face trial. So by now, Mary Elizabeth's body had been found and the couple was charged with double homicide. Gerald and Charlene both pled not guilty, but Charlene's priorities were about to make a huge fucking shift. So in January of 1981, she gave birth to a son while in prison. There you go. Aww. And she named him Gerald, Gerald. Gerald Jr., which just goes to show, even if after they were arrested, facing child for the things that he like wanted her to do, he was she was still devoted to her husband. That poor kid. But at some point during the next few weeks, Charlene had a change of heart. In February, she told police, hey, I just want to be honest with you guys. I will reveal everything that I know if you give me a lesser sentence. I have details about these crimes you're going to want to hear. And the police were like, deal. Let's hear it, mama. Of course. So as part of, her, part of her plea bargain, Charlene pled guilty to not only the murders of Craig and Mary Elizabeth, but also to the N Nevada murders of Stacy and Karen. In exchange, she was offered a guaranteed sentence of 16 years. How do you go from life to 16 years? So at trial, Charlene's defense team depicted her as a compliant victim who went along with Gerald's murderous spree out of fear that she would be beaten and abused if she did not listen to him. So Joseph Murphy, her lawyer, said under the control of a madman like Hitler, German people did things they would have never dreamed of doing on their own and claimed that poor Charlene was just in that kind of situation. No. I'm sorry. That is a huge no. Just no. And just like me and you had that, the jury was like, oh, okay. No, no, okay, no. Okay, they good. were like totally what we're thinking. So Gerald tried to exert his influence over Charlene as his trial began in November of uh, 1982. So he tried to block Charlene from testifying against him, claiming spousal privilege. Mm -mm. Well, wait, she can't test. They're not. But 
But get this shit. I'm about to. I literally wrote, but get this shit. So Gerald's divorce from his second wife was never legally finalized. <gasps> so as a result, none of the falling marriages were even legal. And because of this, Charlene did not have spousal privilege. She was free to testify against him. And Mama, she, she didn't did. waste a fucking chance. Oh, I'm sure she did. Charlene told the jury about how Gerald ordered her to find victims for him. And he would tell her... Um, you know, she kept saying, he would say, like, I'm getting that feeling again. And she knew exactly what he wanted, another sex slave. So when she was asked if she ever refused to listen to him, Charlene responded to the jury, quote, no, you don't ever say no to Jerry. To Jerry. So Gerald was like, you know what? I'm going to represent myself at the trial. That's how cocky oh. and arrogant he is. He's like, you know what? I don't need you. I can do this myself. Okay, so it's Ted Bundy. Here so Gerald took to the stand as he cross-examined Charlene on his own. And she stood her ground. Charlene mm -hmm. was def uh, defiant, telling Gerald, I've been under your control. Even after being arrested, you still control me. Not anymore. So oh. unsurprisingly, 36-year-old Gerald did not help his situation <laughs> at all. Like, any no way, shape, or form did he help the situation. No. And on June 21st, after less than like two hours of deliberation, he was found guilty of murdering Craig and Mary Elizabeth. Okay. He was sentenced to death. Good. The so the following spring, he was tried in Nevada for the murders of Stacy and Karen. Okay. And Charlene was once again the star witness of the prosecution. She went into detail about Gerald's sex slave fantasies and how he longed to find, quote, girls who were ripe for the picking. Which so, ones were that again? Say their names? Uh, the That was Stacy and Karen, like the, oh, first, okay. the first two, the okay. first duo in Nevada. The first ones that he drove out to Nevada. So once again, the jury was not fooled by his cries and his claiming to be innocent. He was like, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. Okay. So the jury took barely any time to sentence him this time, and they sentenced him to death again. For the crimes. So Gerald was furious, though. And he was like, Charlene is making this story up to save her ass. This is not true. She's the one who did all of it. But Gerald's rage did nothing to change the jury's mind. He spent almost two death decades on death row going through multiple appeals for ultimately... Um, multiple appeals, okay? Yeah. But then he died from cancer in 2002 mm. at the age of 56. And in 19... Uh, prostate, I believe. Oh, good. One of the one of the vicious ones. In 1997, Charlene was released from prison after serving 17 years. While in prison, she extensively studied psychology, business, and Icelandic literature. <laughs> she was the ideal inmate. Because oh. remember, she was brought up right. She had yeah. those ways. She was brought up. She knew how to behave. Something about Gerald. I don't know if she was like. I'm going to say Whoa. it again, addicted to what the dick did, but the dick did a lot of stuff to underage women. But she was also <laughs> on drugs. And if he was like the six in her mind, the successful older man, he could get her drugs and right. people. And that... Maybe she was legit scared, but that is no 17 years to me. I don't, oh. I, yeah, I don't no. know. So Charlene today is alive and well. She's in her 60s and she's lived more than two decades under a new name. And I could not find the new name uh, for obviously reasons. So today she counts herself as one of Gerald's victims saying, quote, there were victims who died and there were victims who lived. It's taken me a hell of a long time to realize that I'm one of the ones who lived. Stop. So, and that is the horrific tell 
of the deadly duo, Charlene and Gerald Gallego, or the sex slave killers. I hate his last name. Gallego. G-A-L-L-E-G-O. Gallego? 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 It sounds like a, um, like an island. You no? said I-L-I? Uh, G-A-L-L-E-G-O. Gallego. I hate that. Oh, well, he, he is in hell, mama. And she's 60 years old. So, yeah, that was the serial killers. Ten victims over a span of two years. And so I guess like a lot towards the end. It was like more because uh, they were getting more and more like, oh, this we're not getting caught. Like, this is perfect. And it does. I mean, the desert. I mean, not too many people are just walking around the desert yeah. in Nevada. So, um, gosh, I should have put in here what happened to the kid. So she gave birth to him in prison. He probably went to go live with a, a family member. Yeah, I'm wondering where what his daughter did. I know. Um, well, he was charged with that. Yeah. Oh, okay. He good. was charged with the the um, the rape and the molestation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she got the hell out of jail. I mean, she was getting older at that point, and you know, she's on television. Well, I didn't want to bring her in it too much. I always feel weird, you know. Like she yeah. probably wants nothing. To, she didn't go to the uh, trial. Nothing. So. Oh, I'm sure she didn't. No. So why would she have reason right. to? Right. So, yep, that is the case of the sex slave killers, the deadly duo, honey. I hate them. I don't like them either. Actually, I haven't liked one person on any of these episodes, but oh, well, guys, that's it for this episode of Misery Manor. So go ahead and get your manners out the door. They're at the door. Put them back on. And you have a lovely motherfucking week, baby. Well, I go look at these people. Be a Oh my God, yes. I cannot. I have to show them to you. Did she I, have so I, eyebrows? This time, I didn't look at them until the very end. This time, I painted a picture in my head of what they look like, and I was so fucking wrong. Oh, of course. Because now, every time I think of a deadly duo, I think of fuck, the Barbie and Ken killers. Yeah. And, like a blondie and a cutie. Because, like, yeah. how are you able to, like, like, I'm sorry, if someone comes up to me and they're sketchy, I'm not going to entertain it. Yeah, so I don't care if you have a kid. But this person's bound. Like, if I came up to you in a mall and I was like, hey, like, but remember before we were really friends and we would see each other at work and I was like, why is that guy smiling at me? I don't know. Because I'm friendly and you were a cunt. Yeah. I was like, who's the redhead with all the tattoos? Because uh, she looks like her car. Because you have all those bumper stickers on your car. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really say that? No, but that's funny because, oh my God, that is hilarious. You are literally the spitting image of your car. The car has 15 bumper stickers and you have fucking 15 bumper stickers. Okay. And it's been totaled, so let's not talk about it. It's been totaled. All right, guys. Good night. Love you. Mean it. Until next time, become a Patreon and get your own personal poem or rap. I cannot wait for that. <laughs> I can't either. I'm going to be like, what it do, baby boo? Here's how it go. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> they Bye. all turn into like a Shit. cheer. And then I become on like Billboard Hot 100 and I'm like, fuck the podcast. I'm going to be a pop star. <laughs> now 75. Kids bomb, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Oh, you end it.